more secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. That's our confession, the truth of the Word of God. I invite you to turn with me in your scripture tonight to the Psalter. We're going to be looking at Psalm 12 as our scripture reading tonight to give some devoted time to. We continue to look at the Psalms together. Uh, you'll note this psalm, a psalm of David, choir master, again, according to the Sheminist, which no one really knows exactly what that refers to, some kind of musical term, uh, perhaps, but uh, perhaps one of the less familiar uh, psalms, uh, but again, we trust the Lord has wonderful things for us uh, in, his, in, his, in his word. So let's uh, read that word from Psalm 12. This is the living uh, and abiding word of God. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips the tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for help. Dear Lord, we thank you again for opportunities to worship, to sing, to pray, uh, to hear your word, uh, to have you uh, minister to us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we can end the Lord's Day again with your people, uh, serving you, worshiping you, encouraging one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and spending a special time in prayer as well. So Lord, we do pray that you now would speak to us. Uh, we know your word is truth, and so we anticipate uh, joyfully hearing you speak, even tonight. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we used to have a game uh, in our home, uh, a board game, uh, which I loved to play. Uh, everyone was given a, a word, uh, very obscure word, extremely rare perhaps, or a word that was common in another country or something like that. And uh, everyone had to write down or uh, to make up some kind of definition for this word and try to fool other people uh, into uh, choosing your plausible sounding definition for this word as the actual definition of the word. And the, the real definition was in there too. And you get points, of course, if folks... Uh, chose your false definition. I think it was called uh, balderdash. Uh, balderdash. Psalm 11, verse 3, we looked at last time, asked, when the foundations are destroyed, uh, what can the righteous do? Uh, Psalm 12 
uh, gives us an example of what kind of foundations we're talking about uh, when the psalmist is concerned about foundations being destroyed. Psalm 12 is really an example of one of those foundations. The foundation of, of truth and speaking truth to your neighbor. What do you do uh, when uh, balderdash, we could say, uh, prevails? Now this psalm uh, opens kind of, uh, kind of starkly uh, because uh, David seems to be giving an expression to the fact, first of all, that the godly are gone. Uh, the godly are missing in action. Notice what he says, verse 1. Save, O Lord, uh, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful uh, have vanished from among the children of man. First word of this psalm is save uh, or help uh, or rescue uh, or deliver. As you've already noticed, I think, in the Psalter, this is a common cry uh, in the Psalms. Save, help, deliver. Uh, because it is the common cry, isn't it, of our human uh, experience. And certainly it's the common cry in the life of a believer, Lord, help, deliver. Uh, save. Well, what's the problem here? Well, the people of God, according to David, uh, are missing. Uh, it's as if the psalmist has gone into a, a battle with his regiment, uh, and he's in the thick of the fighting, and um, and he goes down, maybe takes a hit, goes down, and, and uh, gets back up again and looks out, and they're gone. His co, uh, his co-laborers, uh, his co-workers, his uh, uh, battalion, his regiment, he seems to be the only one there. It's as if they have been, it's as if they've been raptured out of the world, taken out. There is, of course, a rapture uh, in the Bible. That is when Jesus returns. Uh, all his people will be gathered to him. The dead will rise. Believers to everlasting life. Unbelievers to everlasting darkness. Uh, that's not the popular rapture idea of many dispensationalists today who believe that when Jesus returns, all believers will be uh, taken up from the earth and only unbelievers will be left behind. And then Jesus will come yet again. But the Bible knows of only one return of Jesus. The Bible says there's the, the judgment and then the end. Um, and so the Lord Jesus will return. He will call all out of their graves, some to everlasting life some to everlasting death. There's never going to be a time to come uh, when the church will be removed from the earth, leaving only unbelievers. That time will never come. But that doesn't mean that uh, it doesn't feel like it sometimes. And that's what David is giving expression to. Uh, this happens elsewhere in the Bible. Think of Elijah fleeing uh, Jezebel, uh, and uh, and actually he, he 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 wishes death upon himself. He thinks this is the end. Uh, there is uh, what's the what's the use of going on? Everyone is opposed to him. Everyone is opposed to his ministry of the word of God. Nobody's listening, uh, and uh, and now he's he's again on the run for his life. Uh, but then, of course, we read in, in Kings that uh, the Lord comes to him and says, no, there's still uh, there's 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Go back to work. Um, we have it with the Apostle Paul in the New Testament in Acts, uh, Acts 18 when he is, in, uh, he is in Corinth and he has again taken a, 
there's been some good response, but there's also been he's kind of taking a beating verbally and uh, people are stirring up trouble uh, for him. And uh, and the Lord encourages him and because and, he's about to give up and, and he's told by the Lord, don't give up. Uh, I have many people uh, in this city. But he was discouraged. For David in Psalm 12, he says the godly man ceases to be. The word for godly there, godly one, is Hasid. You may have heard of the Hasidim in Israel. They are the godly ones. They are the, it means to be faithful. You may have heard the, uh, the Hebrew word Hesed, which describes God's faithfulness, mercy, uh, covenant faithfulness to his people that never fails, his Hesed. The Hasid are those who have responded to the Hesed of God with their own love and faithfulness and commitment to him. They are holy, they are holy his, uh, the Hasid. Um, but David says they're gone. Um, the Hasid is the one who has responded to the love of God and they're faithful. But David, in his experience at this point anyway, says, where have they gone? They have ended, they have ceased. The faithful, the reliable, the trustworthy, the firm, the steadfast seem to have disappeared from among the sons of men. And David doesn't say why, he doesn't say how. We might think about, for instance, Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount. How does, how does this happen at times? Well, Jesus does say in the Sermon on the Mount that sometimes salt loses its saltiness. Uh, Jesus says sometimes people, uh, even though they are the light of the world, sometimes they hide that light under a basket. Uh, it shouldn't be, but that happens sometimes, and then, and then it's as if there's no light, um, and the godly are nowhere to be found. But David says, they vanished. Where are the faithful ones? We could put it this way. Where are those in America who are completely in love with the Lord? Uh, Hesed, we have experienced the Lord's mercy and faithfulness. Where are the Hasid in America today who are completely in love with the Lord? Where are Christians standing faithful, firm, and steadfast, which is all what that word means? We could say, where with David? Say, I mean, we could say with David, where are the Christians? Uh, where are the Christian colleges, for instance, who are not caving in to the pressure? Whether affirming uh, six-day creation or one-man, one-woman marriage or not bowing to the politically correct speech police. Where are the godly ones? Vanished? Where are the churches and members full of love and faithfulness? Toward God and his word, when uh, many in our country, many a church sits half empty on a Sunday morning, many with closed doors on a Sunday night, no time to pray. Where are the godly ones, says David? Where are the love-filled, firm and steadfast moms and dads faithfully training up their children day by day around the family altar in word and prayer? Where are they gone? Where are the love-filled, firm, and steadfast young people who are looking for ways to serve Jesus Christ in the church, at home, on the mission field, uh, or their neighbor next door? Where are they? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we could say simply, where is my love and faithfulness, my firm and steadfast commitment to the one who's poured out his mercy? On me. Well, David says, at the beginning of this psalm, anyway, they miss it. They're gone. They've vanished. 
So from uh, godly ones who uh, cannot be found, uh, David moves to uh, that which can be found, and he tells us that's a, a multitude of ungodly words. <laughs> so I can't find the godly ones. They seem to vanish. But what I do see, oh, it's a lot of ungodliness. This is what he says, verse 2. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts, those who say, with our tongue will prevail, our lips are with us. Who's master over us? And then verse 8. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness uh, is exalted among the children of man. So I don't see the godly, says David, but I do see an awful lot of sin. Awful lot of ungodliness, especially with, with words. Um, as opposed to the godly ones, faithful, uh, here David says there is, there's everyone else. It's they who are speaking the loudest. Those we do see, those who haven't disappeared, those who are speaking, those who dominate the scene or culture and society in which David is living are full of words. What kind? Well, they're full of uh, uh, lies. Verse 2, everyone utters lies. To his neighbor, it means uh, the word falsehood. Everyone utters falsehood. It means vain or useless uh, or empty. It's actually the word for, for vanity, vanity, uh, empty, empty. Um, that is, David is saying, so the people who are speaking, it has no substance. Uh, you can't get a hold of it. You can't stand on it. It's insincere. Uh, it, is, uh, it is irresponsible. Lies. Uh, Rosaria Butterfield, who's written a lot of wonderful books, um, has a new book out called Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age uh, that I'm working through uh, right now. Uh, in the uh, foreword to that book, Kevin DeYoung has this introduction to the book and to the theme of what she's really talking about. And he says this, there's a war raging between good and evil in our world, and though we might prefer the conflict to be fought somewhere else, we don't get to pick the times in which we live. The front lines today are battles over sex and gender and identity, and we must be ready for a fight in precisely these places. Don't underestimate, he says, the power of your opponent. The devil wants us to join him in his rebellion against God. He wants to make us cowards and traitors. He wants us to believe the myth of our own autonomy, that is, that we are our own law. Have you ever said, notice the central command for the Christian as he conducts spiritual warfare? Read over the passage in Ephesians 6 on the armor of God. The exhortation is not to cast out demons or bind territorial spirits. The command, repeated several times, is simply stand. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't back down. It's as if Christ, our captain, is yelling out instructions to his troops. Hold your lines, men. Don't break ranks. Stand your ground. And how do we stand? It's quite simple, really, says the other. We live by truth and not by lies. And so that puts us at odds, doesn't it? And that put David at odds. But it seemed like everyone around him. Uh, there are also words of uh, flattery, with flattering lips, verse 2, and a double heart they speak. David mentions those flattering lips again in verse 3. Words of flattery. It actually means, you could translate it this way, a, a, lip, a lip of smoothnesses uh, is how it could be translated. A lip of smoothnesses. That is flattering uh, speech, smooth talk. Pleasant words, soothing words, words that uh, caress somebody's ego um, and sense of and self. And of course, the idea with flattering words, of course, is you use those that lip of smooth smoothness 
in order to try to get something from somebody. Right? Uh, you use smooth words because you actually uh, you want to uh, build them up only so that they will do something for you. So what's going on, says David. Also deceptive words, he says, with flattering lips. Uh, and a double heart they speak. It could be translated this way. And a heart and a heart they speak. Two hearts. It's as if they have, uh, well, they're taught, it's another way to put it is they, they talk out of two sides of their, their mouth. They're always of two minds, two purposes, often contradicting each other, saying one thing but believing or intending another. Kind of like when we used to think that when we think about what's going on in the womb of a mother and, um, and that baby is being put to death, we call that abortion. We call that murder. And, uh, but no, uh, someone wants to say, no, I'm, I'm pro-choice. Um, oh, you're, you're for, for choosing. But it's, you're choosing to murder someone. Or no, we say, well, we're for, we're for family planning. I mean, that sounds wonderful. I mean, that sounds like you're planning a trip to Disney World. I mean, who's not for family planning? No, what you mean is you, you want to plan uh, how many children you have, and if the Lord gives you another one, you're going to kill it and kill that baby. And so, well, no, I'm, I'm for the reproductive rights of the mother. I mean, who wouldn't be for uh, the rights of a, of a mother? To, to be, well, no, you're talking about the, the right again to, to murder a baby in the womb. You say something with your words, but your heart is completely something else. Uh, two-hearted. Um, and also, of course, David says boastful words. That's what dominates his culture. Those who say, uh, well, verse 3, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue will prevail, our lips are with us, who is master uh, over us. That is, words which claim much for themselves. The example he says here is people who say, I can conquer all with my words. Uh, it means I will prove my strength with my words. I will prevail. I define my own reality by how I speak. After all, who is master? Who is Adam? Who is Lord? Who is master? Who is sovereign over us? And of course, the implied answer is uh, nobody but me. Now, I find this fascinating <laughs> as we come to this, this song. Where are the godly ones? I don't see them. But what I do see is all these words and lies and flattering and smooth talk and boasting and deceit with words all around. It's kind of like David had time traveled. Don't you think that he time traveled to the 21st century in the United States? Surrounded on all sides by those who believe they can use their words in any way they want. Empty, flattering, <clears throat> deceitful, boastful, ready to conquer the world with no master to rein them in. Who's master over us? Uh, 2020, March of 2020, uh, Times Women of the Year issue in 2020. The heading was, what does it mean to be a woman? It's complicated. An adult human female, according to a seemingly common sense slogan seen on the t-shirts and laptop stickers of those who oppose the idea that transgender women are women. They argue that gender itself <clears throat> is a false ideology masking the truth of biological sex difference. But they say woman is complicated. Only the delusional, well, we'd agree with that, only the delusional would deny biological differences between people, but only the uninformed 
can maintain that what the body means and how it relates to social categories doesn't vary between cultures and over time. In other words, they're saying it does. Uh, you didn't know this, maybe, but they write this. The Caribbean novelist and intellectual Sylvia Winter opposes the biocentric ordering of the world, that is, ordering your understanding of things biologically, that is, male and female, emerged from European colonialism, the reason we believe in male and female is because Europe wanted to take over the world. The transatlantic slave trade <clears throat> depended, after all, this is what the slave trade depended on, she says here, uh, on the idea that certain biological differences meant a person could be treated like property. Huh? Did you say there? Slavery is because you believe in male and female. 1949, they wrote this in time, or 2020, they're quoting someone from 1949, Simone de Beauvoir, asserted that one is not born, but rather becomes a woman. In doing so, says time, she grasped how the raw facts of our bodies at birth are operated on by social processes to transform each of us into the people we become. No. No, that's all wrong. That's all lies. That's all foolishness. Uh, God made them male and female. But we are surrounded uh, in a world of lies, empty, flattering, deceitful, boastful words, characterized the people, of course, who have rejected the Lord, his word, uh, and his truth. We see it in advertising. Uh, buy this car and you will have these kind of friends. That's never worked for me somehow. Uh, we see it in politics. Vote for me and uh, you will never hunger or thirst or be short of money in your pocket ever again. How's that working out? That doesn't work either. I don't know how that's worked out there. We see it in the media and posts and clips and videos and news items that there have been... Um, that have been carefully staged to make an impression upon us, smooth words, flattering words, to get us to do uh, what someone wants us to do. Uh, we're not immune, of course. James talks about this in James chapter 3. As he's talking to the church, he says, out of the same mouth, here's that heart and heart, double speak kind of thing that happens even within a Christian's life. He says, out of the same, out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this cannot be. Our words and how powerful they are. Where does that boastful tongue lead? Well, David doesn't lead us, uh, leave us in doubt. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. So this is pretty dark so far. Uh, uh, have the ungodly have vanished from the earth? Where are the faithful ones? What I do see, says David, is... Uh, a world full of lies and people using their words to flatter and, and boast and deceive and uphold and exalt what is, what is vile. So what is the, the answer? Well, thankfully, here in this psalm, uh, we have the first time uh, in the Psalter uh, where we have a, uh, what's called an oracle. That is, where the Lord himself speaks uh, in the first person. In verse 5. And so the godly are missing in action. There's a multiplicity of words from the wicked. But now the master speaks. Notice verse 5. Because the poor are plundered, 
Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord, and I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. And so notice that the, uh, the implied question in verse 4, who is master over us, uh, is actually answered uh, in, in verse 5. I will now, the Lord says, I will now arise as the master speaks. Now we find out whatever was going on in the, in the day of David, it meant the plundering of the poor uh, and of the needy. Uh, the word plundered there means destroyed or devastated. Devastated. Because the poor are devastated, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. This is important too, isn't it? Because the Bible's saying here that the, the empty, flattering, deceitful, boastful words of men hurt people. People are getting destroyed and devastated and plundered. Because of what's going on in David's world and in our world today, we would be quick to say, because when lies and falsehood, of course, flourishes and truth lies slain in the streets, people get hurt. Christians get hurt and taken to court for simply being a Christian. But everybody suffers. Everybody suffers in such a, in such a situation. This uh, headline came across my computer this past week. Canadian powerlifter faces two-year ban for protesting males in her sport. This is what it says. Canadian powerlifter April Hutchinson faces a two-year ban from the Canadian Powerlifting Union for protesting against biological males competing in women's powerlifting. She tweeted this. I now face a two-year ban by the CPU, Canadian Powerlifting Union, for speaking publicly about the unfairness of biological males being allowed to taunt female competitors and loot their winnings. Apparently, she says, I failed in my gender role duties as supporting actress in the horror show that is my sport right now. So here you've got men taunting women, women speaking out against it, and then those women being punished for it. People get Hurt in the midst of lies and deceit in our words. Sometimes this plundering, of course, and destruction, devastation, was at the hands of God's own people. Jeremiah talks about that. There was this devastation and destruction happening among God's people. They were doing this to each other, using their words to destroy one another. But here the Bible says, the Lord hears the cry of the poor and needy, and he says, I will arise and place him in safety or at liberty, it could be translated, or at deliverance. Not necessarily immediately, as we find out, because verse, uh, verse 8 tells us that at the end of this psalm, the wicked are still on the prowl. But nonetheless, uh, the Lord will uh, deliver, uh, will uh, set free. The Lord will keep and guard his people. And though the psalmist begins by thinking all the faithful and all the lovers of God are gone, uh, the psalmist need not fear the Lord. He affirms at the end of the psalm, the Lord will not allow his people uh, to go 
extinct, right? You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. That's what we read in Peter earlier in the service, that we are kept by, we're guarded, we're protected by the power of God through faith for salvation that will be revealed. This is the, the promise of God. But here's the thing. How can we be assured that what God says here in the first person is true? Right? All rise. Place him in the safety for which he longs. Verse 7, the Lord of David says, you, O Lord, will keep them. How does he know this? And how can he be assured of this on a Sunday night, November, uh, in New Jersey? Well, the Master has spoken, and unlike the multitude of empty, flattering, deceitful, boastful words all around us, uh, David knows that the word of the Lord is pure. Notice what he says, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, pure in a crucible, purified seven that is a perfect amount. That's been completely... There is nothing unclean. There is nothing false. There is nothing two-hearted. There is nothing deceitful. There is no smooth talk in the words of God. They are absolutely, totally, utterly, comprehensively pure. That is without defect, like silver and gold refined in the furnace over and over and over and over again. Two ways, I guess, we could say that. This word, right, the pure words of God, well, they've been tested in, in the fire of the world. I mean, the world for thousands of years has been trying to destroy, and Satan hates the word of God. And yet it's still here, eternal in the heavens. But also believers like you and I, we have been testing this scripture over and over again. Believers through the centuries, uh, all throughout history, testing the word of God and its purity and its truth, that the Lord never fails and that his word never fails. Uh, and, uh, and Christians throughout history have known this truth. That his word is absolutely, totally, utterly, comprehensively pure. No impurities and no blemishes. And it's this God who arises here in Psalm 12 and says, I will take that poor and needy, oppressed by the, the lies and the deceits of the world, and I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to happen immediately, right? Because this psalm ends with the wicked prowling around. But it ends certainly with the psalmist, this assurance that, no, the Lord will protect him, will guard him, uh, will keep him, no matter what the lies of the world around, because the word of the Lord, which he stakes his life on, uh, is pure and true. Now, if you believe that, and if I believe that, that's going to that's gonna affect this week, don't you think? Because if the Bible says that in the world around us we've got all these lies going on, people trying to trick us, fool us, deceive us, but the word we have here is pure and without blemish, that means that in this week to come, when I'm looking for something to stand on or to grasp hold of and to trust, it's going to be uh, this word, this God, 
and what he has promised in that word. I'm going to trust him because his word has been refined seven times, never to be found faultless. And of course, this word speaks to me about a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me just end with um, a word from our friend, uh, John Calvin, as he reflected on this passage to encourage us tonight uh, in our own world in which we live, very similar to David's experience here in this psalm. Calvin wrote this, after telling us how God gives to his servants the hope of speedy deliverance, even in their deepest distresses, he now adds to support their faith and hope that God promises nothing in vain for the purpose of disappointing man. You know, God never says anything in his word with the idea that someday you will find it to be false. No. If any person consider more closely and attentively how prone the minds of men are to distrust and uh, ungodly doubtings, he'll easily perceive how important it is for our faith to be supported by this assurance that is that the word of the Lord's are, words of the Lord are pure. That God is not deceitful, he does not delude or beguile us with empty words, and that he does not magnify beyond all measure either his power or his goodness. He doesn't, he doesn't boast uh, beyond uh, truth. No, it's all truth. But that whatever he promises in word, he will perform indeed. And then simply this, there is no truth which is more generally received, says Calvin, among men, than that God is true. But, he says, there are few who frankly give him credit for this when they are in adversity. It is, therefore, said Calvin, highly necessary for us to cut off the occasion of our distrust. And whenever any doubt respecting the faithfulness of God's promises steals in upon us, we ought immediately to lift up against it this shield that the words of the Lord are pure. And we would say, and add to that, sweeter to the taste than honey from the comb. So when the godly seem few, friends, and when lying words uh, of the wicked seem many, we will trust in the word of the Lord. And we can be thankful that the, uh, the Master has spoken, and indeed, in the Lord Jesus, that the Master uh, has come. May that be true of you and I as we live in this world in which the Lord has placed us. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that the words of the Lord are pure. And we know, Lord, even as Calvin has reminded us, Lord, that uh, all of us here tonight would affirm that, that truth, that God is true and all men are liars. And yet, Lord, we also confess with Calvin tonight, too, that when it comes to a time of adversity, Oh, Lord, how, how difficult it is at times to remember that your words are pure and true. And so, Lord, we pray that even though we're not living in the time of David, Lord, we can see in our own day and may have struggled ourselves wondering, Lord, where are the faithful ones? Where are the godly ones? Even as we uh, see all the wickedness around us. The Lord, help us not to lose heart. Help us to hear that the Master has spoken. Help us to know that you have not only spoken, but that you have sent your Son. And we would know that we are sanctified by the truth, that the truth sets us free in Jesus. That we might live by truth, stand upon the truth against all the wicked schemes. 
of the evil one against us, knowing that you are true and that we can stand upon your word. Help us to do that, Lord, even this week, that we would trust in the word of the Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.